Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. I thought we would study Sri Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha this evening. Uh, uh, we're in the eleventh uh, Anucheda, and this Anucheda. Uh, we began in the last class. There's just a couple more points there, but just to refresh your memory, this particular Anucheda deals with a uh, story narrated by Sukadev Goswami. It's from the uh, tenth canto, and it deals with an inquiry by some sages into of the three guna avatars, which one is supreme, which one of the three guna avatars is supreme. And if you remember from the last class, it was concluded that uh, Vishnu was supreme because of his kind nature in dealing with uh, Brigu, who kicked upon his chest. and The Lord was afraid that he might have hurt his foot in doing so, so he was very respectful of him as opposed to Brahma and Shiva, who were uh, a little agitated by his his, uh, his approaching them, so he he actually offended in all three ways. He offended first mentally Brahma uh, by not offering respect, and then he insulted through words Shiva, and both of them became agitated. Shiva became so agitated that he wanted to he. he he attacked him, and Parvati said, "No, no, Brahman here, no, no attacks allowed. What to speak? He's he's your brother. You can't really, you know, if he insults you, you just have to be a little, little bit uh, tolerant." His worst offense was uh, against Lord Vishnu himself, where he actually physically offended him and kicked him on the chest. Immediately, uh, Vishnu thought that the fault was his because I was deserving of your kick because I did not immediately, you know, stand up and, and offer you respect. You know, you're coming to visit me and I didn't, I didn't immediately drop everything and offer you the respect that you're due as a saintly person. So his, uh, his approach was entirely different. So a couple things are that we didn't get to of course, we uh, the point is made by Jiva Goswami that the Sweta Dweep that was visited by Brigu Muni is within the material universe. So there is a, a Vaikuntha planet within the material universe, which is where Lord Vishnu resides. So he did not go to Vaikuntha to see Lord Vishnu, but he actually went to a, a Vaikuntha planet within uh, the confines of the material shell or the material universe. So are there two Vaikuntha planets? The There's unlimited Vaikuntha planets. In the material, In the material world? world, well, Vishnu has his planet, and then we also look at Dhruva Maharaj. They consider his planet also to be... Uh, completely spiritual or transcendental. Now, what's brought out here that I didn't get to, that I just wanted to finish up with, with this particular section or Anucheda, is the fact that uh, 
In some Puranas, you will find this very same story being related in such a way as to show the supremacy of Shiva or another deity. And the reason for this is that the Puranas are divided according to the modes of material nature. So in the, you know, there's Puranas that deal with sections of human society which are attracted to the mode of ignorance. So there are Puranas specifically for those individuals. There are those in the mode of passion and those in the mode of goodness. So uh, because the Puranas are, deal, you know, are, are basically dealt with, deal with those sections of humanity which may have a, may be covered by specific modes of nature, they're still there and the narrations in those Puranas are meant to help those individuals according to their conditioning uh, within the modes of material nature. Uh, and Krishna mentions this in the Bhagavad Gita. He says what? Trigunya Visayaveda Nistrigunyo Bhavarjuna Nirdvandvo Nityasatvostyo Nir Yoga Keshma Atavan. The Vedas deal mainly with the subject of the three modes of material nature. Mainly with the subject of the three modes of material nature. O Arjuna, become transcendental to these three modes. Be free from all dualities and from all anxieties for gain and safety and be established in the self. So overall the Vedas, as Krishna says himself, deal with the three modes of material nature. So narrations in these Vedas may not be in accordance with the way, of course, the 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 bhaktas would would have have as their main the bhakti shastras. They accept what's in the Vedas that support the highest ideal. And as Jiva Goswami pointed out at the very beginning of these Satsandarbhas, in the Tattva Sandarbha, that, well, when we look to the Vedas, how, how are we to, how, what parts of the Vedas are valuable for the highest understanding of the purpose of the Vedas? And his conclusion there in the Tattva Sandarbha is, well, we have to look to the Bhagavat Purana. It's the spotless Purana. It's not catering to those within the modes of material nature. It's not trying to, to uplift people gradually according to their conditioning. The Bhagavat Purana is dealing with the topmost fruit of attainment that's available within human society, which is that of Bhakti, not Artha Dharma karma and moksha. It's unique in that regard. And also unique in that regard is Sri Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement. Golokar, Premadana, Harinam, Sankirtan. Goloka, giving the highest attainments that are there, which is Prema within that loka, Goloka, where the cows reside, that's also 
that's the highest attainment. So you put the two, the two together, the Bhagavat Purana, and that highest attainment that's available by the merciful dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and you have an ideal combination for, for full spiritual success, irrespective of whatever conditioning may be there according to the modes of material nature. So we there's no there's no Lord Shaitanya's merciful dispensation, there's no discrimination according to conditioning. There's no discrimination according to cultural or religious background. All that's pushed aside and anybody from any walk of life, from any prior conditioning, from the, the lowest to the highest, all of them can engage and involve themselves in Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement and have the highest attainment, that fifth attainment, bhakti, immediately, immediately coming to the highest platform. And there's so many verses in support of that. However, as far as this, the understanding of scriptural statements, there will be statements that will seem to contradict other statements in the Vedas. You'll find contradictions. It's not all, it's, it's, there's, it's not that the Vedas are not presented according to the modes of material nature. And we can imagine that a narration like this, which is what is being brought out here, could be seen, well, well, actually, Shiva's the topmost, you know. So the same narration could be found in another, you know, another presentation where, where that is so, because there are those that are attracted to the worship of Lord Shiva. But for us, we're going to accept the conclusions of the spotless Purana, the Bhagavat Purana. That's good enough for us those presentations going on to the next Anucheda which will be the the main discussion this evening uh, Vishnu is supreme amongst the Guna avatars another presentation another I mean in this section we're dealing with the Guna avatars so we've had one praman or one evidence from the Srimad Bhagavatam, wherein this story is used as an evidence to show that Vishnu is supreme because of his the kind nature and the kind dealings he had with the sage Brigumuni. So now Jiva goes on to another evidence. And Jiva says. The superiority of Vishnu among the Guna avatars is also stated by Sutta Goswami elsewhere in two verses. So elsewhere in the same Srimad Bhagavatam, we have two verses. In the first of these, it is said, 
And this verse is from the first canto, second chapter. Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas are the three gunas of Prakriti, primordial nature. Accepting these for the sustenance, creation, and dissolution of the material world, the one supreme person assumes three names. Hari, Vishnu, Varinchi, Brahma, and Hara, Shiva. But among these three, it is from Vishnu alone, who is the embodiment, embodiment of sattva, that the true benefits for human beings are to be obtained. So that's the verse from the Bhagavatam. And now Jiva is going to explain it himself in the Anucheda. He writes here, Although the one transcendental Purusha, for the sake of sustenance, creation, and dissolution of this universe, is connected separately with each of the three gunas as their presiding deities, he still remains transcendental and untouched by them. He takes the separate appellations, referring to somebody, of Hari, Varinchi, and Hara, meaning that Bhagavan appears in the forms of these three deities. Nevertheless, of these three, it is from Sri Vishnu alone who presides over the power of sattva that the true benefits of human life, Shreyasmi, I'm sorry, Shreyamsi, namely the auspicious fruits called Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha, and bhakti are to be obtained. This Anucheda gets a little technical, but it's 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 in a good way because it it brings out how the conceptual orientation of a worshipper affects the result that the worshipper achieves. So just keep that in mind. The conceptual orientation of the worshiper affects what the result is. And this speaks very strongly to us as practitioners of bhakti as to that merciful dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. How high is that conceptual orientation to have this ideal of Krishna in Galok and Vraj Bhakti, it's quite extraordinary to be in the worst age of mankind, to be coming from the most obscure of of backgrounds, at least my speaking for myself, and and have attained even the possibility through Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement of imagining to attain the ideal of Raj Bhakti sometime. You know the story of the one devotee, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was, he, he got into some bad association, a Sangha, bad Sangha, and uh, was hearing some uh, bad Mayavad philosophy, and Lord Chaitanya said, well, it was a Makunda, right? 
Kunda, and he's cast him out of the association. I don't want to see him again. So every time one of the Lord Chaitanya's close associates said, Makunda's asking, when can he come back? Never. He can't come back. No, he's, he's not allowed to come back. So he, then they, okay, come back. Well, can he ever come back? No. Finally, Lord Chaitanya put a time span on it. He said, oh, okay, 10,000 lifetimes. Makunda started dancing when he heard this from the devotees. They relayed this to him. He could come back. I can come back in 10,000 lifetimes. I wow. That's that's the that's the greatest thing for me. Only 10,000 lifetimes I committed such a great offense and I could come back in 10,000 lifetimes. This is wonderful. So, conceptual orientation, how fortunate we are. So we'll, as we go into the Sanacheti, you'll see how subtle this worship of demigods as either representative of the Supreme or representative of a mode of material nature affects the outcome that the worshiper receives. So we'll read on. The sense is this, Jiva says, the sense is this. If Brahma and Shiva are worshipped as limited with adjuncts or as devas in charge of their respective gunas, then because Rajas and Thomas, their respective gunas, are distressful and bewilderingly bewildering respectively, even if one should attain the fruits of Dharma, Artha, and Kama, through them they would not be very pleasing. If, on the other hand, one worships these two as without adjuncts, and what's this word adjuncts? We use in Sanskrit the term upadi. So if we worship them, as if they're colored by the mode of material nature that they preside over, then what could be attained from them and the attainments that only could be attained from them are only those within the realm of the modes of material nature. So there's only three mentioned, right? Artha, Dharma, and Kama. So with adjuncts and still the fruit attained, whether it be artha, dharma, or karma, would be what? It would be of the flavor of the mode of material nature that they preside over. Example, if I worship Lord Brahma, according to the fact that he is in charge, I worship him for an attainment. An example would be Hiranyakasipu. He's worshipping Lord Brahma to attain what? A boon. The boon he attains, if he's worshipping Lord Brahma, and he was, as what? Representative of the mode of passion, then his attainment 
was colored is colored by that mode of material nature, passion, and it's going to ultimately end in distress. Because why? That's the nature of the mode of passion. What to speak if you order but Lord, worship Lord Shiva is in, in charge of ignorance. That's also going to end in a in a distressful situation. Not going to be a very pleasing sight. Result is what Jiva says. Jiva goes on. If on the other hand, one worships these two as without adjuncts, not colored by the apodis of the modes of nature that they preside over, then even if moksha were to occur, it would neither come directly from them nor be realized swiftly. So going to the fourth attainment, moksha, if you worship them, Without adjunct, there is a possibility of moksha. You're not seeing, you're seeing them. One worships these two as without any adjunct, taking them as identical to the supreme and free of any guna. Then even if moksha were to occur, it would neither come directly from them nor be realized swiftly. Rather, only if they are worshipped in the constant, constant, nitya, continually, no misconception coming in, if they're worshipped with the constant understanding that they are both parts of paramatma, both parts meaning Shiva's a part and Brahma's a part, that they are avatars of the Paramatma, is liberation to be attained and only from Paramatma alone. But since Paramatma is not directly manifest in the forms of Shiva or Brahma, the ultimate welfare does not proceed directly from them. In other words, if there are worshippers of Brahma and of Shiva and of Vishnu, which will come out in the next section as he, as he goes on, now he's going to go to what about worship of Lord Vishnu? What's the result? But here we can see that they can attain moksha if they look upon those presiding deities of the modes of material nature as if they are themselves paramatma they are the they are the supreme personality in their respective positions you understand makes to sense transcendental to the modes themselves. yes they were yes they're seen as as transcendental but it's understood they have to understand that the the moksha that is received is received from Vishnu because only Vishnu can give liberation. Now Jiva goes on to explain the position of Vishnu. Now, on the other hand, if one serves Bhagavan Vishnu, 
even considering him to be delimited by sattva, not knowing that he's supreme. There are those worshipers that think, well, there's these three gods presiding over material nature, Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva, and there it doesn't matter which one you worship, really. It's okay. So there are people that worship Vishnu, but not as the supreme, but they worship him as one of those three gods, gods that preside over the modes of material nature. That's what Jesus is speaking of right here. That, and then that kind of worship, they would see Vishnu as having the apati of sattva, the mode of goodness. Not knowing him as supreme, not knowing that Vishnu is supreme. The artha, dharma, artha, and kama achieved through him, through that vision of Vishnu, will be pleasing because sattva is peaceful by nature. So their three attainments within the realm of material activity will be pleasing because sattva is pleasing. And, Jiva goes on, if one serves him without material desire, still considering him a representative of the mode of goodness or being having the limited adjunct or a potty of goodness, if they worship him, even in with that frame of mind, but they don't have a material desire, even while still considering him to be delimited by sattva, then one attains moksha directly in accordance with statements like knowledge manifests from sattva and kaivalya, liberation is sattvika knowledge. So those worshippers who don't have a material desire can attain moksha even without knowing, according to Jiva in this Anacheda, that Vishnu is the supreme, not affected by the modes of material nature. Then he gives further evidence from the Skanda Purana uh, regarding, in support of that kind of a, a cons that kind of an attainment, according to that method of worship. Uh, I'll read one of them because they're both about this. Well, actually, there's only one, and I copied it twice, so I'll only read one. <laughs> Sorry about that. So this is from the Skanda Parada in support of the statement Jiva just makes. He uses this as a praman or an evidence. He who binds with the ropes of material existence and he who delivers from the same bondage is Bhagavan Vishnu alone, the eternal absolute reality and the bestower of liberation, Kaivalya. Then Jiva goes on. However... If one worships Bhagavan Vishnu without any limited adjunct, considering him supreme, then it is bhakti alone that is attained. The fifth goal of human life, because he, Vishnu, without adjuncts, is manifest 
to such a devotee in his form as Paramatma. Therefore, ultimate welfare comes from Vishnu alone, as stated in the Bhagavatam verse under discussion. Now, just go back and look at the Bhagavatam verse that is used as the Praman. And this is the way that Jiva Goswami has unpacked this verse uh, from the Bhagavatam. It's quite amazing. The Bhagavatam verse from the second chapter of the first canto, Sattva, Rajas, and Thomas are the three gunas of Prakriti, primordial nature, accepting these for the sustenance, creation, and dissolution of the material world the one supreme person assumes three names, Vishnu, Brahma, Shiva. But among these three, it is from Vishnu alone, who is the embodiment of sattva, that the true benefits for human beings are to be obtained. I'm sorry, what does the, per- the person who does not impose the upadi, what does he get? He gets moksha as well? No, he gets bhakti. If he worships Vishnu as the supreme personality, then he gets bhakti. So the commentary basically just explains this, uh, just brings out what Jiva Goswami has said. Because the gunas of Rajas and Thomas are distressful and distressful and delusion respectively and of course we know that liberation cannot be attained from Shiva or Brahma independently but if they are worshipped as supreme then liberation is possible from Vishnu and this brings us back to that earlier Anucheta that really when we had Atri Muni was what? He was worshipping, if we remember that Anucheta, he was worshipping for what? He was worshipping for... He had a general conception of the supreme within the universe. So he was worshipping that supreme, but not in a specific way. So therefore, when it came time for the boon, or the attainment, which is which he was going to receive from that worship of the Supreme, they all three came. And he was like, well, I, I was worshiping the Supreme person within the universe. Okay, we're here. But there's three of you. I wanted the Supreme. That's us. <laughs> we're the Supreme person within the universe. He's supreme in ignorance. He's supreme in... in passion and he's supreme in goodness so the three of us together are the supreme because it within the material universe these three modes of nature reign supreme some of us are supremely under ignorance some of us are supremely under passion and some of us are supremely under goodness so you see the point the point is these three guna avatars together are representative, are a, are a representation, and they are them together, Paramatma, within the universe to preside over the modes of material nature.
So something from the commentary. While commenting on this verse, meaning the verse which is the Praman verse from the Bhagavatam, second, second chapter of the first canto, Sri Vishwanath explains that Bhagavan assumes the role of an avatar in two ways, through his intrinsic potency and through his extrinsic potency, consisting of the three gunas. The first type of avatar includes manifestations such as matsya and korma. All of these are worshipable forms. The second type of avatar specifically refers to the three forms that are related to the three gunas. Among these three, only Vishnu is worshipable. Vishnu is called Sattva-Tanu, or one whose body is purely of the nature of Sattva. This Sattva is not that of phenomenal being, but belongs to his intrinsic potency of transcendental being existence, Visuddha-Sattva. As is said, Vishnu is directly the Supreme Person, free of the Gunas and beyond Prakriti. That's a statement by the Vedas personified um, in the 10th canto. For this reason, Vishnu cannot be, have any material bodies. Since the material energy has no power to delimit him in any way, as such, by his mere proximity, he maintains the cosmos, cosmos through the illuminating potency of material sattva, all the while remaining indifferent to it. It is in this sense only that he's referred to as a guna avatar, and thus he is in no way less than a purusha avatar. So when we look to that Vishnu, who's presiding over the mode of goodness, he is the same as, well, as those manifestations of the Lord, Karnadakshai Vishnu, Garbadakshai Vishnu, and Kashiradakshai Vishnu. He's no less than them. They're all equal. They're all the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now some interesting comments regarding Shiva because he falls into a special class. So I've just highlighted some of these. The ontological position of Shiva. He's closely affiliated with Vishnu, and some scriptural statements actually say he's non-different from Vishnu. But he can't be equated with Vishnu in all respects because he is in contact with the gunas of Prakriti. He's thus depicted in scripture as the husband of Durga or Parvati, the deity of material energy. One cannot transcend the gunas by worshipping him as supreme. All right, well, how can he be worshipped then? What's appropriate and what's inappropriate? Inappropriate. That he's the independent Bhagavan, which is actually the viewpoint of the, the Shaivites, 
the worshippers of Shiva think he's the all in all. He is the supreme. And such worship is forbidden and it actually leads to degradation, which is somewhat physically evident in his followers. I've not seen them personally, but I've seen pictures on videos of them coming down for the Kumbha Mela every, what is it, 10 years. And worshipping him as the presiding deity of an aspect of material energy such as Thomas. This will yield only material benefit. So if we see Shiva as only in relationship with the mode of ignorance, then there's only material benefit to be gained there. This will be explained a little bit more in depth in a few Anuchetas where the distinction between the benefits of worshipping Shiva and the benefits of worshipping Vishnu are brought out by Jiva Goswami. There is proper ways to worship Shiva. If you worship Shiva as a devotee of Vishnu or Bhagavan, that will give you the highest benefit. As you worship him as a partial manifestation of Vishnu, as we just, as Jiva just explained in this Anucheta, um, seeing the three as the supreme, the Paramatma, uh, the Guna avatars. And another way he can be worshipped as seat, Adisnya, occupied by Vishnu, an agent, agent or representative of Vishnu manifesting his powers. In this case, one would worship Vishnu through him. In other words, we see Shiva as infused with the power of Vishnu to conduct his function, that function within the material universe that Jiva has, which is quite extensive, which Jiva Goswami will bring out. So he's not, he, he's in his class of his own almost God. But he's that God that actually does come into contact with the modes of material nature. So there's there'll be more learned about that as we go forward. So this this awards the highest benefit in relationship to worship of, of Shiva. One would actually worship Vishnu through him, seeing him as a as the as that Vishnu who comes in contact with who is re representing Vishnu but working within the gunas of material nature are there any questions on what we discussed this evening thank you so much for your association